Welcome to the Bush Performance Podcast. What's up, guys? Uh, welcome to episode 10. We made it. Um, today, we're going to uh, speak about some assessments, but first, uh, let's introduce, we got Eric Everett, Brandon Monahan, Taylor Davis, and Ashton Newell on this podcast. Um, so, assessments are kind of a foundation of what we do and why we do what we do and what has given us success throughout the years. Um, we built some assessments back in the day that we no longer use constantly. They're constantly changing. Um, each of one of us do our own assessment in a different way. And, um, they're very similar at the same time. I know we're always checking the boxes of what to look for on assessments and being a baseball player is super unique, um, individual. The, the demands are unique. The athlete moves unique. Um, so yeah. Let's let's start with Brandon. Um, Brandon, what what kind of flow do you go with your on your assessment? Why do you do what you do? What are your what are you looking at? What boxes are you checking? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, with my assessments, you know, it basically starts from the basically the moment the, the athlete kind of walks in the door, um, from the introduction to the meet and greet. Uh, you know, just kind of talking to the athlete. Um, you get their background information. That kind of tells you a little bit about you know. First of all, you know, find out their position, player, age height, weight, all just the basic stuff there. And then as you kind of get to know the athlete, you know, we kind of basically then progress to obviously the table assessment. Um, We want to look at obviously passive stuff from the shoulder, hips. Um, Then we kind of look at obviously what the pelvis is doing, um, what's going on with the rib cage. Uh, We take a look at the the ISA, which is uh, the infrasternal angle. Um, And then as we kind of get done with all the passive looking stuff, then I kind of want to see what they're doing actively um, because as an athlete, obviously, you're not just out there laying on your back and having somebody move your arm for you to throw the baseball. So you kind of obviously want to see what they have actively as well. That kind of goes with the passive. Um, and then once I kind of get a look at all that kind of different stuff, then I kind of also then look at the athlete and see, you know, are they kind of a hypermobile guy? Are they a guy that's really, really stiff? Um, are they a big chest breather, a belly breather? A um, bunch of different things like that. And then also, you know, I'm learning about the athlete too just by having simple conversation, um, how they carry their posture throughout the assessment. Um, you know, kind of watch them walk, check their gait cycle a little bit. Um, and then we also then kind of dive into the scapulas a little bit, see how their shoulder humeral um, rhythm is, all of that good stuff. Um, and then once the assessment's over, I like to kind of sit down with the guy um, and then just kind of digest it all back to him, let them know what we were looking at, why we were looking at it. Um, and then they kind of then tell the athlete like what the, the course or plan of action moving forward will be um, and just kind of just let the athlete you know, have a, um, an open say or, you know, give them the um, clarity of what basically they need to work on, what they do well, what they don't do well, um, and then just use the assessment to basically create the program and um, use that as your foundation and building blocks. Perfect. Taylor, what do you got? Quick, dirty, not, not specific yet, but like, what are we, what are we looking at that Brandon hasn't mentioned? Yeah. So kind of, I think all of our assessments are pretty similar. I mean, we all kind of came from the same guidelines, but some of us will kind of go off one direction and go off one direction. And a lot of it's based off of like what we see with the athlete, whether kind of what direction we'll take. Um, kind of same thing. We'll go through a lot of the information in the front. The big one um, is a lot of like the injury history. You don't, won't see it as much with like the younger guys, but with the pro guys. Um, yeah, I had a guy come in this offseason, had a hip labrum issue. No hip mobility. Pelvis was slightly turned to that side. So it's kind of like you can use the injury history as well to kind of see what your – going to be like you kind of make a prediction of what you're going to be seeing in your assessment um, and kind of same thing with that assessment as well. Um, also at the end of 
everything that Brandon just talked about at the end of whatever, when I do that stuff, I'll look at like some video hitting or pitching or whether they're throwing with Noah and stuff like that. Cause you can see a lot of like some of the issues will show up there too, that we also saw in the assessment, but sometimes they don't sometimes like, okay, you don't have any hit by error, but you have a fantastic lead leg block. Okay. Like, great. Where are we compensating at? Stuff like that. Um, Cause at the same time, it's like, you want to, help them get better in their sport position and increase range of motion, all that stuff. But you also don't want to take away what they're very good at. So maybe compensating in a certain movement is why they're very, very good. And so that's kind of like the give and take there where you want to give them exactly what they might be missing, but not take away what they're really, really good at. Um, so that's kind of a big thing. But a lot of times just talking with the athlete throughout the assessment, explaining stuff um, sometimes, the assessment and like the athlete's goals and what they want to do is a little bit far off from what they need. Um, and it's a little bit closer with like the pro guys than it would be the younger guys. Um, a lot of young guys will come in. I want to get a lot faster while we're missing just a huge strength component here. So it's kind of, it's kind of giving and taking, um, but also explaining to the athlete and letting them know where they're at and where like the steps that we're going to take to get them where they want to go. 100%. I know Eric, you came to us as an intern originally, and the biggest thing you wanted to learn was assessments and programming, correct? Correct. Um, you know, what's kind of the biggest, the biggest, I guess, change in what you've done in the past to what you're doing now? And what have you learned on the assessment process from us? Uh, I mean, the biggest thing that I've learned is just kind of how to go about the assessment, what each of the what everything that you're looking at means and how to address it when you're programming and kind of chain, you know, the reaction to each, uh, like when the athlete is compensating, like what it could mean in various different ways, mostly just that. And then kind of just to uh, add on to what Brandon and uh, Taylor were saying, just their age is like kind of gives you a hint at like their training age or what it, what that could look like and kind of you can make assumptions off that based like, you know, if they're going to be able to move or how well they move or. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, the biggest thing, let's, let's dive in a little bit deeper now. I mean, that's kind of, we just touched on it just a little bit. Um, like what you mentioned is why are we changing what we see? Right. And if we change what we see, is that going to inhibit their performance on the field? Right. Um, going off of that, you know, their strengths are, or their weaknesses make them great, like you said, you know? So how do we know, right? How are we knowing when to change things? You know, how are we knowing what makes them a great player? And I think that's coming from, from video and seeing how they orient themselves on the floor, right? When they're moving um, on the mound, luckily, you know, we're able to watch some guys on TV and we say, oh yeah, well, I know he has shitty internal rotation, but He's throwing fuzz and throwing strikes and being really, you know, effective. So, like, do we mess with it? You know? Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the biggest thing. But um, the way we the way we program is the biggest thing is, you know, based on this assessment. You know, and too many times I've seen a one-size-fits-all program where guys come in, everybody has the same program, the same lift, the same warm-up, and... First of all, remembering that if you can train to get better, you can train to get worse, right? So the, the not doing an assessment is very vital, right? Some guys say, oh yeah, they're going to warm up, I'm going to assess them, but then all they do is throw them right into the same lift as everybody else doing 
a lot of times it's just going to be a lot of bilateral patterns with with guys that don't need a bilateral pattern or whatever it may be you know um you know not rotating a lot through reaches and stacking the pelvis and all that kind of stuff and different programs are just you know old school strength programs where they're just gonna get under the bar get strong and get after it which is fine at some point we need to do that but i think the biggest the biggest takeaway from the assessment is applying it to the field and the program mm-hmm. you know so going off that um brandon brandon talked about the isa you know brandon talk a little bit about like a compressed guy a narrow guy um what he ex- ex- uh, exhibits versus a wider guy more expanded guy yeah so like kind of dj just mentioned um the infrasternal angle the isa in short um, basically what we're looking for in that is there's kind of two characteristics or two types of isas that um, it's kind of universal is the narrow and then the wide um, and then there's kind of a gray area there the 90 to 110 degrees uh, but that's a little bit kind of a whole another conversation so narrow, on its narrow is under 110 wide is above 110 sorry for no, yeah, you're good. Yeah, so the narrow guys are just going to fall underneath that 110, and then the wide guys are going to fall, obviously, outside the 110. Um, and then with the, the narrow, that means they're going to be a little bit more compressed um, on the anterior side of the rib cage or just the front of their body. Um, and they're going to probably have a little bit more expansion on the post side. Um, and with that, meaning if they have the compression on the front side, if it's um, just a straight-up narrow ISA and that's just their main um, compensation, then they're probably just going to be limited in the internal rotation of their shoulders and their hips. Um, and then if we see that there's other kind of deficiencies kind of popping up within the shoulders and the hips, and that usually means that there's maybe a deeper compensation also on top of the narrow ISA. So the narrow ISA is just kind of the very first layer um, compensation that you'll see. And then anything kind of past that will be layer two, three, and kind of so on. Um, so when you're looking at that, you got you see a guy that has a, a narrow ISA, you check their shoulder um, internal and external rotation, you're probably going to see that the internal rotation is going to be a little bit more restricted. And that's just because of the compression that's on the anterior side of the, the rib cage, meaning they're not going to be able to get that expansion when they go to internally rotate. Um, usually could be from tight pecs, um, you know, or that's what it gets kind of labeled as, but it's usually just because there's um, a lot of compression on the inside of that, that anterior rib cage. Um, and then you get, and also you see with people that are normally narrow, um, they're going to be a little bit more efficient or better at rotating. Uh, but then that also means they're going to have a little bit probably tougher time stopping when they rotate. Um, so those guys usually you'll probably see need a little bit more work with the anti-rotation or just deceleration work, whereas somebody that's going to be considered wide, um, it's going to be a little bit harder for them to rotate. Like if you just kind of take a, an imaginary picture in your head and something that's really, really skinny and spin it, it's probably going to spin a little bit more efficient than something that's really, really wide. Or it's going to take longer for the wider object to turn than something that's a little bit skinny. You're also going to be better at absorbing force. Correct. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously... Now the wide is the exact opposite of what you just mentioned, mm-hmm. right? So the wide is going to be able to produce more force, right? Uh, that's right. Yeah. No, they should be able to absorb. Sorry, wide, wide absorb more force. Yeah. The narrow is narrow going to, be able to produce. produce more force. Excuse me. That's what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so looking at that in a program, right? Are we going to have a guy that absorbs more force? You know, what kind of plyometric are we going to apply to him? Right? Are we gonna have him do a seated box jump? Or are we gonna have him do a snap down, absorbing that more force better, more efficiently? Or are we just gonna have him do more just a basic box jump pattern or single leg pattern? To, if you know, a, a narrow guy for me, I want to get him 
like a single leg box jump would be perfect, right? Increasing internal rotation, um, getting him out of it, you know, learning how to produce and, uh, you know, absorb it. So doing kind of the counter, counter opposite of what we want to do. Um, and then the wide, the same, same thing, you know, get him seated on a box, you know, jump out of that, um, you know, getting his hip flexion at, at a certain degree. So he's able to compress that pelvis a little bit more. Um, so yeah, there's, I mean, there's different ways here that's that you need to look at programming just based on one thing. Right. But we got to realize that is there, is there ISA or is there pelvis the reason for compensation? Right. Um, you know, starting with what you said, Taylor, a guy walks in the door, you know, what are you looking at when he walks in the door? I mean, I look for me, I look at foot pronation first and foremost, how they're pronating, why they pronate, are they, are they pronating because their pelvis or they pronating because their foot, right? Um, you know, a lot of guys that are supinating, example, right? If, if a guy pronates too much, he's never going to get, you know, into his hamstring or his glute, right? He's, he's, he's going to be, you know, see a lot more adductors and obliques, if, you know, with guys that get into their, their, in their pronation, right? So, like, what are, you, what are you looking at when a guy first walks in the door, gate, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Uh, posture is a big one, and I mean, we'll dub, I double up. I will. I think we all double up on it on the assessment. Um, we'll have them walk through, but I mean, po- like even just posture and kind of what you can kind of bank on seeing in the assessment. When a lot of guys sit down, you'll have uh, you guys that'll sit very military and very upright, and they'll write their assessment that, or they write out their notes that way. And then you have the guys that are going to be like super hunched over, and so you can kind of tell like posture a lot there. Um, but then again, like I said, we'll all double up on it in the assessment. We'll have to take their shirt off, go through their movements, breathing patterns, um, everything like that. Um, but also like even going off of that, like the way they like carry themselves, you can kind of tell what kind of athlete you're going to have. Like younger guys, will maybe their parent will do a lot more of the talking or you'll have a younger kid and he'll do it. And the parent will have them do a lot more of the talking. You kind of tell like how you might be able to coach this kid or how you're going to be able to get them through that first week. Um, some guys are going to have to handle a little bit more. Just make sure they're comfortable in the gym. Yeah, make sure they're comfortable yeah. in the gym for it. Yeah. I, there's a lot of guys that'll come in the gym and like, you'll see them stand over like, Oh, like I don't, I don't, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. It's like, no, you want them to feel comfortable. You want them to be able to walk in the gym with confidence, go through what they need to go through, ask questions where they need to ask questions, um, stuff like that. But even off of like a lot of the breathing stuff that we were talking about too, is you can get a lot out of the assessment. But them doing like a body weight assessment and then them having hold of, holding a weight in one hand or anything like that is going to be a lot different. Like I know this week I've done it. I saw I saw Jordan doing it yesterday. I guarantee you, you guys have both done it. But like changing an exercise on the spot. Like okay, like uh, let's take a step back. Let's do this exercise instead. Um, and like okay, like simple sit. pattern. Yeah. Just elevate your foot. Elevate your heel. Elevate yeah. your toe. Yeah. Whatever you can it may be. Feed, yeah. Because yeah. some of them like. We put like in our mind more program, like, oh yeah, this is gonna be perfect. But it never unfortunately works out that way. Yeah. Um, there's always changes that need to be made. There's always little correctives that need to be made. Like we talked about a few podcasts ago, we talked about not over cueing and making sure like if I'm cueing this kid like six or seven different things, like this probably isn't the right exercise to be doing. There's probably an easier exercise to put this kid in or I don't have to over cue. I mean, the, the first cueing goes on that on the beginning at, right after the assessment. I mean, this should be, all right, drive your knee back or stay on your big toe or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be, all right, shift it, pel- you know, drive yeah, your yeah. pelvis, pelvis rotation forward, drive your knee back, rotate your thorax, blah, blah, blah. You got all right, that, right? You, yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, now hold this weight, supinate this Tie weight. Tie your head, rub your stomach, <laughs> jump on one foot. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, 
you know, just going off going off that, it's just like yeah, the kid could get just mind fucked. Yeah, you know, and then not not get the the stimulus training stimulus that what we're trying to do. They're like, oh, you can only do twenty pounds. Like, well, no, I'm just trying to figure out everything else I'm supposed yes. to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, give, you're like taking away something that you're trying to work on, but it's like their focus is fixed on something totally opposite than like what we're trying to do. Hundred percent. And I think we can do that in our in our eight block series. Mm-hmm. I think right. Where it's like we want them to get in certain positions because we are trying to reset their yeah. body, and that's huge. But we can just get them into a biased position under load in the weight room to drive that stimulus that we were trying to achieve in the A block. Right, Brandon? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the big the biggest thing is taking what we did in the A block, applying it to our core lifts, mm-hmm. right? We're not going to do counter opposite movements of we're trying to get external rotation in the A block and then we're going to give them internal rotate, rotated biased exercise and it's, it's coreless, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, so that's that's something that that's kind of off topic there, but like that's yeah. kind of what what the main concept of the assessment is, yeah. right? Is is getting him exercise prescription from the A block to the core lifts to everything, right? Um, let's talk, Taylor. Let's talk about why why we look at certain things. So like, why are we looking at a hip flexion test? Why are we looking at active straight leg rates test? You know, for me. An active straight leg test is going to check your IR. Right? Guys cheat that a lot, though, right? So you yeah. got to know how, like, when is the test over, right? For active straight leg raise, is there, is there, if their lead leg hamstring is starting to bend, it's over. Mm-hmm. Their down hamstring sort of comes off, mm-hmm. come, comes up, it's over, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for us, for a flexion, hip flexion test, it's going to be if it deviates away from their eye at all, um, if it breaks plane, mm-hmm. right? So. Um, going off of that, like, why are we looking at, let's say, external rotation, abduction, all that kind of stuff for baseball? And, shoulder, and, huh? Shoulder, both. Okay. Because uh, they get into it when they play. And you can kind of like, <laughs> when like, so many people just like, they do tests that like just don't relate to baseball. Yeah. Like, it's like, okay, why would you do that? Why are you exposing him? Yeah, why are you, yeah, why are you trying to just show them something that they're not going to be yeah. good at? Because it's not what they do. So, well, it says we do like external rotation, abduction, adduction, internal rotation, everything. It's all related to baseball. Um, and we have guys that ask questions like, how does this relate? And we all have answers because that's how it should be. Um, but a lot of them just can be put positions. And so you kind of see like, okay, this guy's really, really good at hip flexion, like outstanding hip flexion, outstanding IR. It's like, okay, we might be a little bit more limited in ER. So you can kind of sit, see how their pelvis sits um, and based off of the ISA as well. Um, but it's also like, everything translates to baseball. Like all of our lifts translate to baseball, all of our assessment movements translate over to baseball. They're just more, they're a lot more isolated in the assessment. Um, so we're not looking at, so we're trying to limit compensations in the assessment to really figure out what they're lacking or what they're really, really good at. Um, and we're not going to just tell them what they're bad at. We're going to tell them what they're very good at as well. Um, yeah. But looking at like whether they're better in external rotation of the shoulder actively or passively, or we need end range stability. Um, or you just need deceleration movement, stuff like that. Um, so it's kind of looking at every single part of the assessment and every single part of each movement. There's not just, okay, not just passive external rotation. There's active internal rotation, active external rotation. There's deceleration movements. There's just isolation stability. There's a lot of different things you can look at. Are you looking at, or do you, do you take into account total arc of the shoulder when you're doing your table tests? 
Yeah, so I mean, kind of. I don't. Yeah, I I don't generally measure yeah. it. Yeah, I, I personally, Austin, but yeah, Austin, like Nick and Austin, think it's a huge total arc, mm-hmm. right? Personally, I it's important for sure. Don't get me wrong, but if he's lacking IR, which is a little bit or a lot of it, but he has a ton of ER, I still think that's there's an issue, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's not gonna have any entering stability, right? And then he's not gonna have any decelerated pattern in the in the throw. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Just as throwers, for example. Yeah. Right. So, how can we increase his end range stability and his deceleration pattern? And that's through getting more IR. Mm-hmm. Right. In my opinion. Yeah. You know, um, and it's super simple to fix an IR. Like you just adjust the rib cage a little bit, get him in a proper position to to get better. You know, anterior expansion of of the of the um, to allow to allow the the IR to go through. You know, so like we see a lot of guys that are like 140 degrees ER and crazy ER. crap, 30 degrees, 25 degrees, 30 degrees of IR, you know. Um, so, you know, we got to know why we're fixing it. And the number one thing is to like, yes, increase performance, but also decrease the chance of injury. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, we got to know like, all right, well, yeah, you throw 100 miles an hour and you throw strikes and you're an all star. But, you know, your injury history kind of shows why, what's going on. You know what I mean? So that's, that's kind of an important thing. Um, Brandon, let's, let's talk about shoulder abduction and how important that is and, like, end range stuff and layback and, and all that. Like, what are, you, what are you looking for? How are you – what are you kind of trying to fix on the shoulder abduction portion? Yeah, so, I mean, it all kind of starts first with just kind of that posture talk we were talking about initially. Um, how are the scaps initially just naturally resting on the back of that rib cage? Um, so a lot of times with baseball players, um, pitchers especially, you'll either see probably an elevation um, in one scap and a depression in another, uh, depending on if they're right-handed or left-handed. Um, so right off the bat, just that right there can kind of skew your test or what the scaps are going to do in retraction, protraction, um, upward rotation, all of that stuff. Um, so depending on where the kid's kind of starting from, then it kind of also, you can even look at the pelvis still too. Does the guy have even, you know, a little bit of a right shift anterior tilt, anything like that causing extension in the lower lumbar, um, which then obviously is just going to work its way up the spine a little bit. And then that's obviously going to affect the thoracic region where the scaps sit. Um, so obviously those all kind of play a factor as well, but, um, for just, let's say a kid that's just got some good scap position starting off. Um, then obviously you're going to do the abduction, adduction test to see how well they go across body and then away from body. Um, and then those two tests right there will show you then are they compressed more anteriorly or posteriorly. Um, and then, then you can use that to cross-reference with the IR and ER of the shoulder. Um, and then once you kind of have a pinpoint location of whether they're compressed on the front side or the back side, then that's how you can go about attacking it. Um, so let's say they're compressed on the back side and that's why they're not getting that full abduction, then you're obviously going to want to then try and get expansion on that back side. So through breathing patterns, um, eccentrically orientating the muscles on the back side to get the scap kind of freed up to allow airflow back there. Um, let's give an example of that. Um, so basically, let's say if the person's compressed, you know, like right in the middle of the, the rib cage there or like right in the scapular area, um, about T5 to T7. Um, and it's posterior, then you probably would just put them on their back and you could just do a low reach with that. Um, and that right there is just going to drive air to the back side of the rib cage. Um, and that right there could also be a good starting point. Um, and then so another, taking, on, on this bill off that, you're taking gravity, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And taking the, the pressures and the gases and liquids and fluids and all that stuff and pushing it on his back, his supine, mm-hmm. he's pushing it 
to his back, expanding it that way. The low, the low reach is going to be. He's not going to be getting a whole lot of scapular kinematics out of it. Mm -hmm. Correct. It's basically putting the, the scapula in ER position yeah. or starting of ER. Um, so that's going to kind of free up the, the back space just enough to allow a little mm -hmm. bit easier airflow back there. Uh, once the muscles get a little bit too concentric orientated, then that's when it's going to start compressing the thorax, and then that's when airflow is going to get drove more anterior. Um, so the degree of reach and where you're positioning the, store, uh, the scapula and the thorax and kind of the activation of the muscles in the certain areas, um, that's going to kind of dictate where you're putting airflow in. And then obviously, like DJ just said too, um, the positions you're in, like if you're laying on your back, side, or prone, um, that also is going to help with basically redirecting gravity um, in your favor. So you can use gravity to help you drive either compression or expansion. Yeah, 100%. And that's the basis of everything we're doing, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that, that's not just your shoulder, but that's also for your hip, right? Yeah. So looking at that, like, yeah, we see a lot of guys lack IR on the right side of their shoulder, right thrower. We also see a lot of guys lack right side IR of the pelvis or the femur, right? A lot of times you see the femur and or the pelvis, excuse me, and the thorax compensations being about the same, right? On the same side, right? One side has something, the other side needs it, right? So, um, you know, we might, we might program a, something where a kid does a rear foot elevated split squat on the right side and a, le and a front foot elevated split squat on the left side, right? Uh, we got to look away from doing everything the exact same. And like he might do a pressing exercise on one side and a pulling exercise on the other, right? We don't go into that extreme. We usually pull both sides, but like sometimes there's a case for that, right? Yeah, um, yeah but I have an athlete right now that um, he does a press, um, it's lateral on one side and then he goes contralateral on the other. Um, so just little things like that, like you said, can manipulate basically the, the environment or the exercise and kind of takes over the cueing as well. 100%. Um, Taylor, let's talk about getting the pelvis in a better position. What muscles do you focus on to get to re-nutate that, that pelvis or counter-nutate that pelvis? or Like a posterior tilt? Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Anterior um, tilt, posterior tilt. What are you I mean, What muscles? I mean, obviously, what are you doing? Are you going to do like a, a lot of bridge, bridge stuff, hamstring stuff, all that? Yeah, like for a posterior tilt, I'll do a lot more like – now it also depends on if the kid's able to do this or not, but like doing more split squat stuff, um, glute bridge stuff, stuff to get the hamstrings to pull that pelvis underneath you. Um, but a lot of times it also comes down to cueing and how they're able to do it. So like that and putting them in a good position to start, but I'll do a lot more. I'll almost, they're not going to take away. I won't take away hinge from a kid's program just because it's a very necessary movement, hamstrings, hinge rotation, the hips, um, stuff like that. But I won't take that away, but instead I'll just, Rather than putting two hinges in a kid's movement, I'll do, I'll just double up on the split squats. Um, double up. So whether we do a step up or we do a step down, have them hold posterior tilt there. Um, it all just kind of depends on whether the kid's able to hold that position. So if a kid can't hold like a posterior tilt and a split squat, then that, that I'm probably going to have to take it a step back and do like a posterior tilt or do a, like a step up or step down or something like that. Um, and then kind of vice versa, if a kid need, needs a little bit more internal rotation of the hips and he's very just kind of slouched over stuck in posterior tilt i'll probably do a little bit more anterior tilt um and rdl yeah rdl single leg rdl yeah. split stance rdl um kind of just stuff and kickstand rdl kickstand rdl yeah just kind of depends on whether like there's exercises for it but the kids also got to be able to get in that good position within that exercise in order to do it correct like you can do a lot of 
good exercises very poorly, and you're just not, you can't get anything out of that. 100%. I mean, we can program the best program in the world, but if it's not getting coached and done properly, yeah. you know, I'm dealing with, with that with one of our kids in Colorado. He's having a little bit of, had a little bit of an issue, right? And doing some breathing stuff, but like, if I'm not there coaching him, right, or giving him exercises, thank God I can trust the guys there in Colorado, Chris, Joe, Grant, Emily, right? Um, and girl, sorry. But, um, you know, like just relying on, that's when we overcoach those little things, right? Those getting those into those positions. But once they're in that position, we got to just take a step back and let them be an athlete. Yeah. You know, like we got to just give them some, some, let it eat sometimes too. Mm. You know, we got to let them, let it get, let them get after it in the weight room. Sometimes they got to throw a med ball. Sometimes they got to just deadlift something, you know, but once we hit that deadlift, let's restore some internal rotation, right? Or hip extension or whatever it may be, you know, uh, so whatever they're, they're losing. So like, yeah. you know, just pr a programming the proper deadlift position based on what we see right from the assessment and then restoring it after we do that proper deadlift pattern, you know? Um, so like, to us, it tells the road, tells the story, yeah. you know? And and since day one, this is something we've done. You know, for me, it's hard It's hard for me to understand how programs can go, big programs, little private facilities, organizations, whatever, can have a guy walk in and just give him a piece of paper and just say what we're doing, you know? Um, you know, it's, I, for me, it's, it's hard to understand how now knowing what we know, it's, it's hard to understand, like, the thought process behind that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's it's, it's very difficult to to, pro, to coach a kid that's that's not, you know, doesn't you don't know what he needs, you know, unless you're in love with the, the bench squat clean pattern, and which is fine. You know, I'm not saying those are bad exercises, but... There's just going to have to be a lot of coaching done if you don't know what positions they can get into. Exactly. They can't get into. You know, the risk reward of everything we're doing. Yeah. You know, and um, let, let's talk about posture stuff. I mean, obviously, that's that's huge, right? That's the, the topic of what we're talking about now. Um, how do we know when to fix it, when not to fix it, like mentioned earlier, but knowing why they sit in that position, right? What are they doing in their everyday life? What are they doing? Are they in? Playing video games, school, um, writing papers. Are they do they like art and draw a lot? You know what I mean. Like, what I mean, we got to take into account of that. So that's why another assessment topic. What you said, Taylor, is awesome. Is sitting down and talking to the athletes. Brandon's mentioned that too. Mm -hmm. Is we got to find out a lot about these kids, right? We got to find out their hobbies. We got to find out what they do. Do they? I mean, we have a uh, a first rounder that, that loves to surf. Like, all right, well, now I know why your posture the way it is, right? You know, and how it, why his shoulders are rolled forward or how, you know, why why he look he looks like a surfer. He also is a fantastic baseball player, you know, and, you know, we take into account, like, yeah, we see the guys for an hour, hour, two hours, hour and a half, two hours, whatever it may be, but they go out and do the other stuff for way longer, play video games for three hours with their boys, go out surfing for two, three hours, you know what I mean? Golf, yeah. Golf. That's another demand, right? Yeah. Right? So, like, we got to know what they're doing outside of our doors to be able to adjust these programs as well, right? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, that's why, like I said, like, as soon as the athlete kind of walks in the door, um, I'm watching the way they kind of walk, just the way they carry themselves. 
Um, and then when I'm asking them questions, you know, I kind of watch their neck. Uh, are they, you know, are they carrying a lot of tension? Are they a big neck breather? Um, are they a chest breather? Um, all that kind of stuff. And then, like you said, you just, you learn a lot about the athlete too, just by asking questions. Um, and then throughout the assessment, um, you know, initially, like a lot of guys, when they first come in, I always ask them like, Hey, what's your, what's your injury history? And a lot of them will immediately just be like, Oh, nothing. Because they don't want to tell you that, you know, they're maybe hurt because they're afraid it's going to affect their lifting right off the gate. And a lot of, um, college athletes and then some of your high school guys are, you know, they have that kind of ego to them and they know maybe their buddies have already been here or, you know, they know what their friends are doing and they want to come in and they want to just start lifting heavy. Um, so they, they, you know, initially might just say, yeah, I'm all good. I have no injuries. And then, you know, 20, 30 minutes into the assessment, I'm looking at them and I'm like, Hey, like, did you break your ankle? Yeah, what's going on? Like, um, you know, actually I just had it last week. It was a guy that, um, he was here last summer and then, um, over the fall and winter, he went away, played school and he came back and we were reassessing him last week. And I saw something really weird in his hips. Cause a lot of times, uh, most guys will normally, most people usually default to their right hip and they kind of sit in it. Um, and he was showing something really weird where he was actually really sitting in his, his left hip. And I kind of asked him, I was like, Hey, like, you know, like, have you had like a traumatic injury to like your hip? And he goes, yeah, my, my left one's really, really bad. And, um, I never really properly rehabbed it. And, you know, his body kind of showed and he was kind of glued to it at that point. Cause probably years ago his his body compressed and got really tight to kind of protect it. And then, um, after that, it's never really fully rehabbed or recovered. And, um, now he's really kind of stuck in that hip. And, um, he was mentioning how this, this spring he was having some back pain and, um, I was like right there in the assessment. I was like, you know, you didn't, you know, when I asked you 20 minutes ago, do you have any injuries? You, you said you were fine, you know, or I, you, you get it. You're probably fine right now, but you know, that's something that, you know, we can find in an assessment or just talking to the guys. It's like, you know, like, Hey, even though this maybe happened a while back and you don't necessarily think you're injured, that's still something that can still affect your program and how you're moving currently now. Um, even if it was four years ago. Um, so that's stuff that, you know, just asking the questions and, just kind of getting in, kind of into the nitty gritty with the athlete. Let's just get an initial buy-in from the athlete right off the bat. And that too, and you know that that really showed the athlete too. Like, dang, this guy's, you know, he's actually really looking at me and probably, you know, has an idea of what's going on. That he was able to pinpoint an injury on me that happened years ago, and I mentioned nothing to him about it. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, that, that actually did go a long ways with him a little bit. But yeah, just stuff like that. Um, so posture, you know, posture tells a story. Um, it really does. And like you said, you know, if a guy is. Um, I, one of my buddies I used to train back home, he's a, he's a tattoo artist. Um, so yeah, he spends, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, literally sitting down, hunched over, drawing on people or just drawing on paper. And yeah, his posture shows that. Um, so is that a guy that I'm going to probably just completely take out of that? Probably not. Um, because it's, it's how he can make him feel better, but yeah, exactly. You know, we could probably give him relief through that thoracic spine, maybe restore some extension in there, you know, take some tension out of the neck and traps like that. But like that guy, literally, he's going to be sitting there every day for eight to 12 hours. I'm probably not going to get him completely out of that in an hour session with them, you know, a couple times a week. 100%. You know, so yeah, posture tells a story. And um, there's a lot that, you know, you can just learn from the athlete just by talking to him and having just a general conversation and not almost just like grilling them, you know, because the athletes will, like you said, have a little bit more buy-in or just feel comfortable to reveal more information if they know it's kind of trusted or in confidence and it's not necessarily going to just put them on the back burner, you know, stuff like that. For sure. That's that's the hard part. And we talked about nutrition last week too, um, what you said earlier about guys are like, okay, what I do in the weight room, this is going to make me feel better. And then I can just do whatever else outside. And it's like same thing with nutrition. As long as I eat eat this before, eat this during, eat this after, I'll be fine. It doesn't matter what I had way before, four hours earlier, like six hours after. 
because everybody's like they're they want to they want to do a, like whatever they can in here to get better and then it's like once they go home like that ah, like i'll just go back to normal life I'll yeah, back to two quality hours with these guys at most right? that's it that's and they're it. gonna get and how are we gonna change we're we gonna take twenty thousand breaths a day for a very right. small part of their day compared to what whatever else they do and yeah. so that's also where you get buy-in too is you can see how dedicated the kid is to what we're doing and whether he wants to get better at stuff outside or, hey, what can I do? What can I change this during the day in order to uh, make sure that this improves in here? And so that's kind of where you get that buy-in as well. Yeah, like, like I just mentioned, you have 20,000 plus breaths yeah. a day you take, right? And if you're doing controlled breaths for, let's say, 45 minutes in here, at most an hour, right? We're, we're queuing them, exhale on the way down, whatever it may be, right? That's a quarter of the day. You know I mean? Not even quarter of the day it's like a tenth of the day you know so whatever maybe I don't know what <laughs> whatever whatever it is. you know i'm not good at math but but yeah yeah i well but um you know like telling them to go home and focus on the breathing patterns we gave them like that's step one wake up and do it do it here go to bed and do it right just just your breathing patterns you don't need your whole a block just do your breathing patterns. Reset, reset the body. The more you do it, the more adaption you're going to get. Obviously, right? Um, same thing on the nutrition aspects. More you eat, more quality foods you eat, more nutrient dense foods you eat, more weight you're going to gain or lose yeah. or whatever it's going to be, whatever your goal is, right? Um, so you know, going off off the posture topic or going into back to the posture topic, you know, we're never going to achieve symmetrical patterns in baseball or the human being, right? We live in asymmetries. How are we going to deal with those asymmetries? Right. Um, you know, we, you know, we always talk about like, Hey, let's fix this rotated thorax, whatever. But realistic, we can get a degree better, right? That's, that's a win for us. You know, um, if we'll decrease the chance of injury because of that, that's a win for us. Right. Um, you know, the asymmetrical pattern is so big in baseball. We can, like going back to what we just said, fix it for an hour in the weight room, and then they go back to it and go play golf and then throw some baseballs and then throw, you know, hit, hit some balls and all that stuff, and which is great. But, like, going off of that, too, like, we don't want to just train anti-rotation in the weight room. Our know, body needs to rotate, right? So it's just a matter of how we're going to get them into rotational patterns, why we get them into rotational patterns to get in a better proper posture versus a symmetrical posture like when we're never going to achieve symmetry right right b yes yeah, no i mean we're asymmetrical just as a human being exactly. right off the get so yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah let me explain why we got more guts and bigger don't want a diaphragm on the right side and a heart on the left that we don't have on the right exactly mm -hmm. so the so body is is very asymmetrical mm -hmm. right and that's what allows us to be to be humans. But no. <laughs> Taylor's over here talking shit. <laughs> um, Taylor doesn't have a heart. He's different. He is. <laughs> cold killer. Cold. Cold killer. <laughs> um, you know, and then that that posture leads to on-field performance. And you know, I think understanding posture and gait for us is the most important aspect of what we're doing, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think. Yeah, I think both those tell a lot about the athlete and how they move. And it doesn't matter what sport you play. Yeah. No. Period. <laughs> you got to. You got to walk from A to B, or you know, you're 
pelvis is supposed to move biomechanically a certain way and you know you can't yeah. really say it doesn't you know to like an extent like like you said earlier getting in and in, in out of positions mm-hmm. right yeah. it doesn't matter what sport you play you got to get into positions and you got to get out of positions yeah. hip flexion is hip flexion exactly you know or hip extension is hip extension internal external all that is still yeah. rotational um, it's just how are you going to get that athlete in and out of those positions best for him? And how I mean, how are we going to get that quote unquote one percent better? Right? It's not one percent better every day with your body. There's no shot we do that. It's just literally one percent better to, of movement. Right? That that you know, obviously we're going to get bigger percentage you know increases, but like getting that one percent better of movement quality is going to yield so many more benefits and so much more health. Right. And, you know, a a big thing, too, is taking the gap of health and performance in in, from the assessment, too. Right. So, yeah, we're going to give them what give them their cake. Right. Right? But like we got to give them, you know, the health side of things as a baseball population or else they're going to be on the IL. The diet cake. Diet cake. Diet cake. Yes. Keto. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You guys got anything else on assessment stuff? Um, yeah, just the last part about the gate cycle and everything like that. It's like what you see in the gate cycle. It most likely and how their posture. It's not going to get better when they play or when they no. throw a ball. It's gonna it's gonna multiply and it's gonna get yep. ten. So or they can't even put a water ball on their back. It's gonna it's gonna be them. ten times worse. So. Yeah, if you can't if you can't walk right, and you're not pelvis isn't moving, diaphragm isn't moving, thorax isn't moving, how it's supposed to move, and it's it's not. Gonna I've be seen so maybe good. two to three guys ever trained over thousands of athletes, right? Mm-hmm. Ever to get in a better position with load than they did without yeah. load, right? How about you? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, there's very few guys that um, they move better when they're they're loaded up, and, but there, there are those, there are a couple of guys where, you know, yeah. sometimes compression actually drives expansion for them and it actually does make them move a little bit better, but those are some very few outliers yep. um, for the most part. Yeah. You can't even control your own body weight, you know, and gravity. And what do you think is going to happen it's when you just safe put the littlest bit of weight on that individual? If they can't even control their own body weight and gravity, and then you just add more to it, then obviously, yeah, it's just going to get probably worse. Yeah. Right? And then you add, the worst thing in the whole entire world is throwing a baseball and you add that to that. Yeah. Right. That's probably the most violent action in all of sport. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You add that to it. It's like, Oh, well, no wonder why you're getting hurt. You know? So I think that's good for today. What are you going to, Eric, you got anything else? No. Nope. You learned a little bit? I did. Oh, good. Good to see you, man. Proud of you. Good, good. <laughs>